So, um, verse 9. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what is the rising from the dead, what the rising of the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of God, and how is it written concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and that he did do, and they did do to him whatever they wish, as it was written of him. Lord, I just uh, come to you in prayer, Father. Just, Lord, sometimes, you know, your word can be for exhortation. Lord, sometimes your word can be for teaching. Sometimes, you know, we can we can be preaching it, God. If today is just a, a word of teaching, let it be that, Lord. If if it's of all the above, let it be that, Father God. Let's pray that you'd be here with us, Lord, that you would meet us in every single word of your book, Lord. Give us desire to dissect it, to know it, and in truth, Lord God. Thank you for the community of the church, Lord, so that we can keep this straight. We can we can keep it in line with what you designed it, Father. Thank you for the body, the family, to discern the word correctly, Lord Jesus. I just pray these things in your name. Amen. So... Uh, looking kind of refreshing on last week, um, the Transfiguration and uh, James, Peter, James, and John went up on, um, Jesus took them up on the mountain to to transfigure in front of them. And we talked about that last week and what that looked like. And so when, in verse 9 here where it says, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them, they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the son of um, till the son of man had risen from the dead. And I, to me, the key word here was the things that they had seen. And um, before we jump into that, you know, it's it just was interesting to me that this is like one of the few times that well, Jesus as many times Jesus says um, after he heals somebody or he does something, he's like, don't go tell anyone. And what do they do? They run and tell everybody, right? And it's always, you know, like, well, why would he tell people not to go? And I think we've been over this, but um, not to go tell the amazing things that he's done. And it was because Jesus is wanting them to want him, not just the healings or not just the the um, party or the show, or whatever. You know, they, they were trying to get these people to truly see him, that he was the Messiah. He was God. And so this is different, though, you guys. Because they didn't tell anybody. They listened to him. And um, it's also, I th- and, you know, God is in control of everything. And, and I would say the reason is because he knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows what he's going to have these guys do um, as, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon them after he dies and resurrects. And he knows that he's going to need them to talk about this stuff later. And so this time they obey and, it, and it, we can see that it's, in the, when we jump ahead, we're going to be able to see that it's for that reason. So, 
So the part of, of that sticks out of that they are not supposed to tell about the things they've seen. Okay, what did they see? They saw, when, in the transfiguration, they saw that Jesus was spotless, that no launderer could, could ever possibly on earth get, him as, get his clothes as white as they were, right? Um, they got a, they got, on the transfiguration, they got a glimpse of what heaven looked like. You know, they had these other um, people that were believers that had died or Elijah had been just taken up that were with him. So that, that was the picture of heaven, right? You're getting to be up there with heaven. You're as white as Jesus. You're conversing with Jesus. It was, it was a picture of heaven. And, um, and these saved people, like I just said, they were, they were able to converse with him, which is, which is an awesome thing to look forward to. Okay, so kind of back to, now back to the reason that they didn't say anything, and the reason Jesus commanded them to not say anything is because, like, when you see in Second Peter, um, verse 1, 16 through 18, Peter is, is telling these people that he, um, he's like, I'm going to be dead someday. You guys need to hear my words. You need to remember them. And he's not even calling them his words. He's saying it's God's words, but I need you to remember them. And so when it comes to this, he's able to pull in this plug of, and here's why you need to remember them. Because I was there and I seen it. I was an eyewitness. I got to see Jesus. I got to see heaven. I got to see people that have given their lives for Jesus with Jesus in heaven. So I have credibility. You can trust what I'm saying. Me and three other guys, two other guys, we got to see it. We were, we were eyewitnesses. Not just one of us, multiple Multiple people got to see it. And so he does that in Second Peter. And, uh, you know, when he's, when he's talking about that in Second Peter, he's, he's dealing with problems um, that are from the inside. So they, like in First Peter, he's dealing with problems from the outside, like outside persecution and, and stuff like that. But when he's in Second Peter, when he's talking to these people and giving his account of, like, remember these things that I'm teaching you, He's dealing with um, problems that are from the inside. And so, you know, it's the contrast between uh, diligence in pursuing this Christian life of obedience versus he's talking about in there of being aware, aware of false teachers and being aware of false belief. And so you can see how those things that he's teaching in that, like he needed these people to believe him. It's a big deal. He needed... He needed them to know that he knew what he was talking about. He had talked to Jesus. He saw Jesus transfigure all these things. So it made his testimony have some credit. And the same thing with James and John. So also with that, you know, I guess we can go ahead and go into verse 10 where it says they kept these things to themselves. Um, It was one, like I said, it was one of the first times that the people that Jesus said not to say anything. It's one of the first times that they didn't say anything. But it's not the first time that Jesus had mentioned his death to them, right? So he said, keep this word. So they kept these words to themselves, questioning what the rising of the dead meant. You know, and so like be thinking too of that, of like when they go, 
after Acts and stuff, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and then they're going, then they're sent out, right? The Lord told them, you know, they weren't ready then, like we're going to see here, they're still just, they're, they're still not really grasping who Jesus is, and that he says he is who he says he is. And so when the Holy Spirit comes on them, like Jesus is going to use them even more mighty, right? So that's another reason, I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but it's another reason that they, they needed to be credible in that. And, um, but we see here when they're questioning as they come down after even seeing all that stuff that they're questioning, they didn't understand him rising from the dead, which is interesting to me because like you read about, we just learned about that when Peter got rebuked for when Jesus is saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to die and be raised. And, and Peter's like, no, don't go. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You know, it says, how do how's the guy still not getting it? Right. And then it goes in on verse 11, and they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Okay, so if if we can put ourselves in in their shoes of being in their time, you know, they were with Jesus and stuff, and you would think they would understand, but they're, I mean, they still call him, when he asks him who who they say we are, who do you think I am? You know, he says the Christ. But they're still not getting it all the way because... Um, they're asking this, but, well, wait a minute. He says he's the Messiah. Uh, well, what about, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And so we're them right now. In that time, they knew the Old Testament cover to cover. Right? They were trained from day one. They knew what the, all the, pro, or the prophets said. And, um, and they knew that they were waiting for the Messiah. And so if Jesus is the Messiah, then we must have missed Elijah coming. Because in Malachi 4.5, it says that... um, It says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, they're like, okay, so if this is Jesus, then we must have missed Elijah coming. You know, so they're questioning and, um, of course, Jesus is going to have an answer for this. So in verse 12, then he said, or then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. So they know that Elijah is coming. But, and this is kind of a hard one, you guys. So this is. There's, there's different theories on this and there's different ideas. And so I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of both of them. And, and we'll look in the scripture where it's plausible. Both of them could be how this goes. But according to what some people think, they would say that, well, this is actually talking about Jesus' second coming. And that the, the, they weren't picking up on it. So let's, you know, in Malachi... Four or five, we could we could get that right because it says that I'm going to send Elijah in the day of the the great and dreadful day of the Lord, right? So the great and dread, dreadful day of the Lord, the great would be that Jesus is coming, going to come back, and all things will be renewed and restored. But the dreadful side is that like if you're not a believer in Christ, it's not so good for you, right? Because Jesus is also coming with judgment. He's the judge at the end of the day, and um. So we could see where that comes from in that, in Elijah saying it. And then also it, um, it can point to Revelation 11, 
or yeah, Rev 11, like, I don't know, one through 14 or something, but, um, and in Zechariah also. And so, like I said, just hold this loosely because, and we'll get to the point of what I'm, what I'm talking about here of, of looking at both sides of what people believe. But, um, in, so in Zechariah four, it's Zechariah's talking to God and, you know, and he's prophesying and he sees these things. And in verse 11, um, it says, Zechariah says, what are these two olive trees um, at the right of the lampstand and on its left? And if you skip 14, God comes in and says, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, now try to follow me here. I know this isn't easy because I had a hard time like getting through this, studying it, but and then you go to Revelation 11, and then Re- Revelation 11.3, it says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, like it said in 14 of Zechariah, the two anointed ones. And then it says um, in verse 4, There are two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth, right? Just like just like it was saying, well, who is the, the two olive trees and the lampstands, right? So, we can kind of connect those together where we could get there. We could say, well, it's the second coming and and all these things are happening. And like in Revelation, it, I'm not going to get into the whole story, but it, it talks about how um, they send down these two anointed ones and they're going to, the Antichrist is going to kill them and they're going to lay in the street for three and a half days and then um, God's going to breathe life into them and all the people are going to see it and they're going to go raptured up into heaven. And so like, who are these two anointing ones, anointed ones? And... So one of them, the belief is that that's the Elijah that they're talking about in this. That he's in the second coming of Christ is what Jesus is trying to tell them. And so, um, it, that, like we could buy into that. We could, we could, that makes sense, I guess. You know, you could see where that those connect to each other. So let's get into and we'll kind of come back to that to try to make this make sense to you guys. I'm sure it's kind of hard to follow right now. But um, so the second part of that in verse 13, he's going to continue to talk about um, talk about Elijah, right? So in, the, in 12, he says, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Then you go to 13, he says, but I say to you that Elijah has also come. So that's where you get, you can see like, right? Okay, wait a minute. Jesus just said Elijah is coming, future, going to come. And then 13, it says Elijah has come and restored all things, past tense. So you could, and then when you when you read on this, it's um, like in Matthew, it, it says it directly on in this account that they're talking about that the disciples knew that they were, he was talking about John the Baptist as Elijah and um, that has already came to prepare the way for Jesus. Um, so like so we can see how it it seems like okay right like okay first he's gonna come and then they say oh he has come well here's the hang up where the other other people get a different idea and it is in matthew 11 and he's talking Jesus is talking, and it's it's during this in this conversation of where people are rejecting John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is in prison, and and he sends two disciples, his disciples, to go talk to Jesus and say, "Are you the one that um, 
that we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus answers to them, say, um, go tell John the Baptist, are you seeing lepers being cleansed? Are you seeing um, people that are blind regain sight? Have you, are you seeing all these healings? You know, and they, you know, of course. And so that, that, that was his answer. Yes, I am. Well, then he turns to the multitudes and he starts talking about John the Baptist. And that's where we get this, um, this idea, the second idea that John the Baptist, you know, he's talking about Elijah was John the Baptist in the spirit and empowered by Elijah. So prophesying the same way, the same power that Elijah had, John the Baptist had. Doing, kind of went about his ministry the same way as Elijah did. And here's how, we'll, how we see that in Matthew 11. Um, Matthew eleven ten, for and Je- This is Jesus talking. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And we see that. That is directly from Malachi 3.1. Malachi 3.1 says that. And that's when um, God is speaking. And he says, he says um, in chapter 3, yeah, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Well, so here's the hang-up. So when you keep on reading, skip down to uh, verse 14. It says, and if you are willing to receive it, so if you're willing to understand that John the Baptist was doing his ministry in the power and in the spirit of Elijah, which is already in heaven. Okay, so if you choose to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. So do you see what I'm saying here? So in verse 10, it's saying, I'm, it was talking of Malachi. He was prophesying, I was going to send this messenger to pave the way before Jesus, which we can read about John the Baptist, and that's what he says. I'm paving the way for a guy that I'm not even worthy to lose his sandal strap. But then you go down and he says, if, if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come as well. But look at your guys' faces. It's not, I'm not doing a very good job of connecting this together. And uh, it, like I just kept mulling it over. So the point is, you guys, of that is that what does it matter? Okay, when, when we... If we live this life for Christ, this is just one of those things that I read and I was, everything I could read on it was just this controversy of all the majority of Protestants believe this. You know, some Protestants and most, most of the Catholic Church believes this. Well, I read it, I could believe it either way. But it's not worth dividing over because guess what? If we live for Christ and we're, we believe His Word, we believe He is the Messiah, He... He came as a man. He's God, came as a man and died as a man and then rose as from the grave. And we give our life to him and believe this. We're going to be in heaven, like it says the last week, when, it, when they had the transfiguration, it showed those prophets up there with him. Like That gets to be us with Jesus. And we'll find out then. So like it doesn't matter. There's so much of this stuff. We're going through Revelation in town and like it just... You could just go so many ways with this stuff. And I'm not saying any wind of doctrine we want it to say is okay. I'm not saying that, right? I'm just saying with these things like this where you can read it and you could go any way, either way, like we just had the land of this spot of like, well, 
It might be this way and it might be that way, but I don't know how it's going to change the way I live for Christ. You know, it doesn't change any of these other things that he, he distinctly tells me that I, if I mess it up, it's because I'm choosing not to listen. I'm trying to put my own thoughts in this Bible. Um, so that's where I was going with that. And like, I just was thinking as I'm teaching through this, or I mean, studying through this and going to teach them, I just like, well, maybe this is just a, uh, just a day, uh, a day of teaching maybe on like way to look at this. And so with that, um, we can also look at something else that is to add to it is, that is incredible is that when he says, um, what is it in verse 12, I think, in Mark, back in Mark, he asked um, the question, how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt, right? And so um, when you look in that Matthew 11 too, it also says that, you know, um, we see that John the Baptist was treated with contempt, right? He was beheaded, all these things. And then the the really cool thing about that is that um, he, he still just followed in faith. And now whether he comes back, it comes back as Elijah or John the Baptist or in Revelation or whatever, whenever that happens, it comes like, great. He's just, he used them then when they were alive on earth as a man and he's going to use them when they're in heaven with with Christ. And then... Um, uh, da, da, da. Hold on a second, guys. Yeah, because it says also in the end of 13, we're talking about what happened to um, uh, uh, John the Baptist, the same as it happened to Jesus, as they, you know, they did whatever they wished as it was written of him. So, you guys, in closing with this, I think where the Lord had me come and would have me share with you guys is that here's the... And we Rory hit on it in town going through. We were in Revelation 19 or something like that. And it's it comes down to all the, prophesied, all the prophets testified you know, of the Messiah. They, they, all the prophets testified of Jesus. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, it's just pointing towards Jesus and only Jesus, right? You know, these Jews, or Peter and Peter and the disciples, they come off the hill and they're, they're saying, like, wait a minute, is, how can this be Jesus? We're supposed to be waiting for Elijah first. And then we look for Jesus. Well, that's wrong. Why would we be looking for anybody but Jesus? We don't... You get what I'm saying there? Like they were even putting a little too much emphasis on Elijah coming first. Like that's who we're going to focus on seeing besides the end goal, which was Jesus. Like, yes, all this stuff's going to happen. Great. It's going to happen as it happens. But like we just focus on Jesus. That's who we're looking for coming. Right? John the Baptist, absolutely no question, you know, he taught in the spirit and power of Elijah. He taught... You guys, it's the same. It was awesome to think about when we're when we're in Christ. You guys, when we we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we're truly He lives in us. The Holy Spirit was a bigger deal when it came upon these three disciples and the rest of the disciples, for that matter. It was a bigger deal than when when they saw Jesus transfigured. 
it was a big, it hit them harder and it, it was a bigger deal when the Holy Spirit came on them, you know, in Acts. So it's the same thing for us. When we're, the Holy Spirit is in us and lives in us, we're the same as these prophets. They're going to be in heaven with Elijah, with Moses, all these things we've been reading. John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us, is who empowered them. We see that all over the scripture. It's, and it's a, I probably should have this in a better order. But this brings me back to thinking about in Matthew eleven, eleven, where it says, Surely I say to you, among those born of a woman, right? So in a fleshly matter, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus has given John the Baptist pretty good props right here, right? Not one greater. Nobody. Is what Jesus just said. But then what does he say? But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist as a man on earth. So he's he's like saying how awesome John the Baptist is when he was here on earth doing the ministry of that he was being empowered with the spirit. He was awesome. But then he turns around and says, and he said he's the best actually is what he said. Better among, born among any woman. He's the greatest. But then he says, least is the kingdom, or I'm sorry, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So what can we get from that? Is where I'm going with the end of this, you guys, is the fact that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're living in obedience to Christ the way the Bible tells us to do it, not the way we want to do it. Then the Someday the end goes, like, we're in heaven with him. And then what does Jesus say there? That we're, when once we do that and we're with Christ, there's the least one of us up there in heaven with Christ is better than the best guy that ever walked the earth besides Jesus. And Jesus says that was John the Baptist. I think that's that's the home run here. I think the home run is that we should be preparing for the second coming of Christ by spreading the word, telling everybody we can about, about Jesus. I think that's, that's what we should be focusing on more than if Elijah has came and is going to come or he was already came and he's not coming again. We'll figure it out when, we, when that happens when we get there. You know, this, this life that we should be, praying, be preparing for the second coming of Christ Day in and day out, we just got through um, picking up our cross daily. All of that, we uh, we we can expect to be treated with contempt the same. I think Jesus is telling us that, and that, and that as well. So I guess as believers in Christ, we just say, "Bring it on," and we just just stay at falling on our faces, saying, "Lord, lead me today," because I'm not going to get it done on my own. Got to have you. So with that, you guys, that's it. I uh, Again, I feel like maybe that was just kind of a painful for you guys, but maybe for the Lord to work on me to just to teach and just little blips of what to learn. And um, with that, let's pray.